Hi, and welcome to the Fertility Warriors. Here at Fertility Warriors HQ, we believe in three things, grace, grit, and gratitude. We don't believe you have to be perfect to fall pregnant, but we do believe that you need to place yourself and your well-being at the top of your priority list. I'm your host, Robin Birkin. For some people, trying to conceive is a cakewalk. I was not one of those people. My journey was years in the making and included IUIs, IVF and a miscarriage, as well as many, many tears before we fell pregnant with our first child. Now I'm the author of the book, Screw Infertility, and the founder of a 12-week mind-body fertility program, the Fertility Warrior Intensive. I'm here to help you not only navigate these waters, but to help you feel like a badass in the process. My superpower? Helping Taipei women find calm, confidence, and happiness in their journey. I'm a little woo-woo, a lot straight shooter, and I swear like a sailor. Sorry, mom. I've never turned down a bowl of mashed potato, and if you like salt and pepper, mm, I think we'll get along just fine. So hit that subscribe button and tune in for tips, advice, and real talk every week. I promise you, I'm not daggy. Okay, maybe a lot daggy, but subscribe anyway. Enough small talk, let's do this thing. Hi everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. This year has been the year of me interviewing fellow Australians on the podcast. And today it's my pleasure to welcome Stephanie Balakis. I'm hoping that I have pronounced that correctly, uh, to the podcast. So Stephanie is very well known as the dietologist on Instagram, and she's a fertility dietitian and nutritionist and an endo warrior herself. Today we are talking about debunking extreme fertility diets. Stephanie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, Robin. Excited to be here on the podcast. So probably the best place for us to start is with how I came to be like, you know what, let's get Stephanie on the podcast. Let's talk about this. So you and I were having a bit of a chat on Instagram. Yeah. And so, and I follow you on Instagram. So I feel like I know what you recommend in terms of fertility diets. It's very evidence-based and I love mm. that. I must say, so I believe in bio-individuality, like mm. what works for one person may not work for another person. I do, I can see, and when I put out recipes and stuff like that, I, mm. try, I put them as gluten-free and dairy-free because I just feel like they're for a lot of people, not everyone, just doesn't like you know when something doesn't agree with you most of the time mm. but I see so like we have recipe inspiration and we have like little meal plans and they're by and large based on the Mediterranean diet mm. the, just the the common sense of what works lots of fruit and vegetables don't have lots of like massive amounts of red meat focus on getting lots of fiber, stuff like that. But I always get the keto warriors come out. And the other thing is there's so many people at the moment with like this autoimmune protocol diet mm -hmm. and things like that. I even, <laughs> I am being, my Facebook feed also keeps showing me this very well-known fertility specialist who put up a meal plan and recommendation for something called the carnivore diet. 
<laughs> which I'm like, and it, it, the quote, well, there was a quote as well that said, if you, <laughs> I can't even help laughing because I'm like, what? If, if the animals you eat, eat fruit and vegetables, you don't need to. <laughs> Oh my gosh, so silly. This whole <laughs> oh. I can understand I just, like yeah. I can understand people doing something like a 21-day elimination diet. Yeah. But uh, this is where I get a bit confused. So many of them will cut out like legumes and grains. Mm. And when I have been putting, when I've put together meal plans and things like that in the past and full disclosure to everyone, they're for recipe inspiration, not for Mm. like any kind of diagnosis or anything. They all, like the meal plan maker programs show, Mm. will show you the daily nutrition Mm. without any beans or grains in there. I Mm. always struggled to ever Mm. get any kind of decent nutrition. Yeah. So this is the part of the podcast where I am, but also hang on, red meat gets me Mm. because like a little bit of red meat, yeah, cool, great, but lots and lots of red meat. And when we're cutting out so many other foods and protein sources, I feel like there is a lot of research to suggest that high quantities of red meat are not beneficial for fertility. So now is the point of the podcast where basically I be quiet and (laughs) I bow down to you and say, let's get an expert on the podcast to talk to us about what is the best diet for fertility? What what are these restrictive diets telling us? And where is the research behind things like the AIP diet, Mm. which I find is a very functional nutrition college teaches Mm. them to to put people on that so Mm. over to you (laughs) (laughs) where do I even begin there's so much Uh, to digest pardon not intended (laughs) yes yeah so I mean I think the best place to start is like what we know works quite Mm. well for a fertility diet which is you know a foundation of a variety of seasonal fruits and vegetables using good quality unsaturated fats extra virgin olive oil nuts and seeds avocado whole olives um dairy if it sits well for you you know research shows that full fat over light is going to be better yeah. from an ovulation perspective um and so on and as well whole grains we know whole grains are actually really important for supporting uterine lining thickness meeting b vitamin requirements vitamin e magnesium and actually achieving our dietary fiber targets for the day which uh around 30 grams which when you go through and calculate on an average diet most people are probably getting about 50 percent maybe less maybe more depending And especially without whole grains, I find a lot of my clients do struggle to reach that requirement alongside legumes and beans and nuts and seeds. And then in the protein category, we really try and focus on fish and seafood, great sources of omega-3s and zinc and selenium, as well, poultry, eggs for their choline and also really just a handy protein all round. Um, Soy-based proteins are also great, particularly for those people who are vegetarian. And then red meat. Red meat does offer a lot of nutrition, especially when we're choosing our lean variety, so lower in saturated fat, eating good quality in smaller amounts, um, great source of iron and zinc and CoQ10 as well. So we definitely don't want to have this 
I think it's really natural. And, and this is how I like to think about nutrition. So it's really, really natural to think about nutrition in a way that's like, what can I eliminate? Because yeah. something in my diet must be causing me a problem. Therefore, it's about cutting things out. But what I often do with many people that I see is the opposite, which mm-hmm. is let's stop cutting things out because it's leaving you with less and less and less and you're not meeting your nutritional requirements. And let's focus on what we can be eating more of. Yeah. Naturally, the things like processed meats and excess red meat and you know, your takeaways and your junky type of foods are going to naturally fall away, but you don't even have to think about it because you're mm. crowding in the good stuff. And so that's the approach that I like to take and as well still leave some room there for some chocolate on a Friday night mm. or a little bit of wine at your friend's wedding or whatever because you still need to live a life when you're trying to conceive. And when you've been trying to conceive for a long time or going through infertility for a long time, food and drink can also be a source of comfort and mm-hmm. a very legal and safe form of, of that comfort over many other you know, vices in life. So I think there needs to be room for that and not to create guilt around that. And I think, you know, whenever we want to try to, I guess, fix a problem or explore new things, I often find people are thinking about what can I cut out rather than Mm -hmm. how can I meet my requirements? So yes, the Mediterranean dietary pattern, which is very similar to what I just described, has Mm -hmm. been most researched, particularly in IVF for both males and females for fertility outcomes. However, some people need a little more protein. Some people, you know, don't eat fish. So we need to replace with omega-3s. And, you know, there's all these little nuances that come with each individual. But if I was just to put some general advice Mm -hmm. out into the ether, I would say that is a really, really good starting point for sure. Yeah. And I mean, my, I guess, role in the fertility community is all about stress. And when we are looking at so much restriction and, you know, I'm talking to all these people who have been on the fertility roller coaster for such a long time, there's really this balance element, like balancing the lifestyle stuff with the emotional stuff as well. And there's got to be some point where I mean, perfection is a unicorn, it doesn't exist, but there's got to be some point where we say, actually, something's got to give here and I have to have a life and I have to start protecting my emotional health. And we so often will fall down the rabbit hole of this diet stuff and restricting and let's go on this diet and that diet, but then end up being in this incredibly stressed and torn state. When we look at foods to cut out or foods to cut down, are there any foods that do warrant, based on the research, being cut out? Yeah, for sure. There is some decent quality research showing think foods like excess amounts of processed meats like bacon, ham, salami, prosciutto. We already know that's not great from a bowel mm. health perspective. We have mm-hmm. really, really high quality evidence from the World Health Organization saying that lots of those foods are going to statistically increase your risk for bowel cancer. But... Yeah. From a fertility perspective, we also see with higher intakes of processed meats amongst males and females, we see an increased time to conception and yep. so, and also higher rates of infertility in those populations. And so 
Welcome to nutrition research. It's always going to be correlation and not causation. So we're not sure why, but yeah. we know it's high in saturated fats. It's high in salt. It's very delicious on the cheese board. I hear you. But it's one of those things where we certainly want to be really mindful of our frequency and the portion of that particular food. Other things that we need to be really cognizant of are um, soft drinks or sugar sweetened mm -hmm. beverages and that includes artificially sweetened varieties mm -hmm. so yeah we really want to be aware that drinking more than one of those per day is going to statistically increase your chances of delays to to conceiving as well so those ones again most people kind of know to avoid those things in excess anyway but if you've been you know still having your diet coke at lunch every single day maybe try scaling it back to a few times a week and then talk to somebody like me around substitutions and so on other foods that we kind of want to be aware of as well or drinks is obviously excess amounts of alcohol for both females and males excess amounts of caffeine again for both females and males that can interfere we're talking excess we're not talking your latte in the morning we're talking about stephanie level of caffeine intake right now which is small business owner caffeine uh intake it needs to drop yeah. yeah um so that's that's a little bit of a different ball game but um yeah so obviously we're talking about you know excessive amounts and then things like a high amount of refined sugar in the diet is another consideration so some really cool research that's come out from Australia actually has looked into um, the impact that dietary sugar can have on, and we're talking added sugar, we're not talking fruit and the naturally occurring mm -hmm. sugars that come in dairy, we're talking about, you know, Snickers and the sugar that goes into your coffee and so on. The World Health Organization recommends less than six teaspoons of added sugar a day, which I think is a reasonable target. And mm -hmm. statistically, most people are eating less sugar than we used to say 10, 20 years ago. We're doing a decent job. But it is important to rein it in because interestingly, particularly amongst those people that have insulin resistance or maybe have prediabetes or diabetes, they are showing that this can actually, this increased intake of sugar can actually change the cell structure of the uterine lining right. um, through a process called advanced glycation of the end products, which takes you back to second year biochemistry really quickly. And that it can sounds actually, impressive though. It sounds yeah. so fancy. Keep using um, that word, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but what these do is whenever a cell structure is changed with the addition of, of sugar or glucose to that molecule, uh, you will get a functional change. And that functional change is going to potentially impact things like implantation, egg quality, sperm quality. And we're even seeing higher rates of AGEs, advanced glycated end products, being present amongst those with both PCOS and endometriosis as well. So... Yes, a, a little bit too much sugar is going to add up. But if you're just having a little bit here and there and you're having a little bit of chocolate after dinner, don't worry about it. That's not the amount we're talking about. We're talking yeah. about a lot of dietary sugar. Yeah. And I thought it was quite interesting that you mentioned when we started because I find that not many people talk about this. And, you know, it's only as I'm approaching sort of perimenopause now, it's something that's on my radar, fibre. Like mm -hmm. no, no one talks about fiber. 
Are you oh, able sexy. to? <laughs> yeah, right. But so important, especially as we get out of our twenties and into our thirties. I feel like it's really something that should be at the forefront of what we focus on for just general good health. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the benefits of fiber and? Also, if you've got any tips for how people can incorporate more fibre, if this hasn't been a focus and now they're listening and they're like, oh. Yeah, and this is probably one of the biggest flaws in, say, the ketogenic diet or the carnivore diet is the distinct lack of plant fibre. Not to say that it's a low fibre diet, but if you don't do it right, you certainly will be lacking in dietary fiber so first of all what is fiber fiber is the undigestible component of food there's a few main types insoluble which is what I like to think of the rough stuff so the skin on apples the the stringy bits of the celery it's kind of the that more or the you know corn kernels which you end up seeing in the toilet the next day and so on so that's your insoluble fiber then you have soluble fiber which dissolves in water as the name suggests and that helps form a gel like consistency in the bowel that helps slow down how quickly things are moving through the gut helps balance blood glucose levels promotes um longer kind of keeps you fuller for longer and so on and also helps reduce cholesterol levels interestingly enough sources of soluble fiber are things like legumes and beans nuts and seeds things like chia seeds i always get people to visualize you know when you make a chia pudding what happens when you add that liquid they all puff up and they form a tight Mm -hmm. gel that's Mm -hmm. soluble fiber at its finest And then we have resistant starch, which is kind of the fertilizer to our gut lining because resistant starch actually helps facilitate the um, production of particular short chain fatty acids. And those short chain fatty acids then give us energy back and they also go back in and help to nourish the gut lining. So sources of resistant starch are things like cooked and cooled rice, cooked and cooled pasta, um, cooked and cooled white potatoes, the process of cooking and cooling, and you can either reheat or eat cold, doesn't matter, um, actually changes the way that the starch reforms and that makes it a resistant starch versus not a resistant starch. So those All those types of fibres are really, really important to get a good balance of. And the reason it is important is, A, to keep your bowels regular, which is important when it comes to fertility and hormone concerns in general, because any excess hormone wastes need to leave the body somehow. And that is usually in the bathroom with number twos. So if you're not opening your bowels regularly because of a lack of fibre, what can sometimes happen is hormones such as estrogen can actually be reactivated by some of the gut bacteria that live in the large intestine by a particular Mm -hmm. enzyme. And then your body just did all this hard work to get it packaged up and ready to go, and then uh, it's been sitting in there a bit too long and gets reactivated. So regular healthy bowel motions that are normal, comfortable, are really, really important and often overlooked um, because, yeah. It's like invisible, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so when we're looking at, you know, so when a lot of people are doing things like autoimmune protocols and things like that, they're Mm. often looking at the gut microbiome. And this is kind of like what we were talking about on Instagram is I'm just not sure that cutting out grains and legumes from a logic slash scientific perspective makes a whole lot of sense when it comes to the gut microbiome Mm. and supporting 
gut health. Mm. I feel like, especially with prebiotics and things like that, that actually that's a really important function. And I don't like, I don't know, do, can we get stuff like that? Can we still be okay if we're cutting out those foods? What is the long-term potential impacts of cutting out such major food groups? Yeah, I think that is, I feel like it's such an antithesis of what they're saying it helps with to what we know scientifically works. Mm. And, and I'll, I'll talk about exceptions for something like the AIP diet, the autoimmune protocol. But um, yeah, so our gut microbiome, which is a community of bacteria that live in our large intestine, really thrive off plant-based food. It doesn't mean you have mm. to be vegan, as in an abundance of plant foods in your diet, a big variety. And the bigger the diversity of plants in your diet, the more that diversity is reflected in the gut microbiome. And we know that a high diversity of gut microbes is associated with better health outcomes. So we've shown that people that eat 30 or more different plant foods per mm. week have a better gut microbiome profile and better health outcomes. And that is very important because if we think about diets like the ketogenic diet where some plants are really, really quite limited or certainly a carnivore diet, and then things like the AIP diet where foods like legumes and beans are off the plate, grains, nuts and seeds, um, eggs, dairy, I mean, coffee, alcohol, tobacco doesn't really provide any fibre, but... Um, all those things are off the plate. And so a nightshade vegetables, which yeah, is just yeah. a whole different kettle of fish. But um, I would just say that, you know, it's promising to help heal the gut lining. Your body does not, your gut never needs rest. It doesn't need, okay. it doesn't yeah. need a break. It's, mm -hmm. it's like, does your heart need a break from beating? Do your lungs need a break from breathing? I certainly hope not. So your gut <laughs> does not need a break. And so there is no reason why you need to limit these foods for a particular reason because your gut can handle it. And in fact, it's actually craving more diversity, not less. Mm. So mm. by limiting these foods, you're limiting the diversity. And if you limit your prebiotic fiber intake over a long period of time, a lot of people end up being intolerant to them when they go to add them back in. So if mm. you do it for long enough, your body goes, oh yeah, cool. We don't need to digest that type of food anymore. See you, bye. And I see this, saw this a couple of years ago, a lot with people doing the ketogenic diet on their own, realizing that's not right, something's not right, their body's playing up, or they end up having something as serious as an eating disorder. And we have to reintroduce, and they're like, hang on a second, how am I so bloated all the time? I was so not bloated on the keto diet. It must be all these grains and all this, all this vegetable fiber. It's like, no, your body's gut microbiome shifted towards a protein and fat digesting microbiome, which we know isn't good for your health. And all the fiber-loving bacteria have gone night-nights. And so now, because there was nothing to eat, you starved them. So now you have to rebuild that microbiome. The only way to do that is to go through it and to eat more of those foods mm -hmm. until you adapt. And there is an adaptation phase of coming out of these types of diets into back into what I call normal eating. And that process can be hard. And that's why I recommend working with a practitioner to get through mm. it. But 
yeah, always go over the hill. And it's not because you, you know, turned around and now all of a sudden you're intolerant to everything. It's just mm-hmm. that your body adapted to that diet and your body needs to readapt now to this reintroduction. Hey, sorry to interrupt you, but I just had to let you know about the latest product to drop at the Fertility Warriors HQ. It's my new Get Pregnant Pronto Pack. It's a very cool pack to help you optimize your fertility, educate yourself and troubleshoot your cycle so that you can make better decisions about your fertility, so that you can understand your body better and so that you can work on optimizing your fertility, whether that's natural fertility or whether that's through assisted reproduction. I'd love to invite you to check out my new product, the Get Pregnant Pronto Pack. It's loaded with heaps of cool stuff, including PDFs, cheat sheets, and a special Get Pregnant Pronto Plan workshop. To find out more, go to robinburkin.com slash getpregnantpronto. It's just $27, so it is incredible value. robinburkin.com slash getpregnantpronto. All right, let's get back into the episode. So are there any circumstances where it's warranted for people to cut out certain things in their diet? Yeah, for sure. There's certain situations where people need, you know, medically supervised diets or Mm. may want to explore whether they are having particular um, adverse food reactions or quote unquote food intolerances. But I think what people don't sometimes realise is the cost of eliminating things and how they're going to get their nutrition from somewhere else. So it seems relatively harmless to leave out dairy out of the diet from the outside. But when you dive in deeper, where are you going to get your calcium from? Are you using a protein equivalent dairy source? Are you using something that still contains eight grams per 250 mils um, of protein? Are you getting your vitamin B12, B2, phosphorus? Where are all those nutrients coming from? So unless you're selecting really wisely, and particularly if you're vegetarian or vegan, that's even more important to get that right because you're relying on that more so. Mm. That is something that people overlook and then they don't realise that it's a huge problem until somebody like me gets really worried about what your bones are doing. Go for a bone mineral density scan and, you know, we're looking at something like low bone mineral density, which is a kind of uh, that intermediary zone but before osteoporosis. And I've seen that in people in their 20s, not even, not even an age category where you would even think about Mm. your bones at all. And so I think it's the invisible that people forget about. So that's an example with dairy and with gluten. We know it's fiber, it's folate, it's iodine, it's zinc. And we're seeing that people with celiac disease, which is an autoimmune disease that requires a strict gluten-free diet. um, We're seeing that those people who have, you know, lower quality diets all around, even Mm -hmm. though they're medically needing to follow a gluten-free diet. And we're seeing an increased risk of other chronic conditions related to those poor quality diets, more liver disease and so on. And I think the frustrating thing that I find as a dietitian is I absolutely advocate for like what works for one doesn't work for all. Absolutely. But 
Celiac disease, for example, which is an autoimmune condition where the body's reacting to gluten and then damaging the intestine as a result, creating malabsorption of key nutrients like folate, vitamin B12, calcium, which can then lead to that bone issue that I just talked about, is that the prevalence of celiac disease amongst people who are trying to conceive is double that of the regular population. And because so many people are electively excluding gluten out of their diet without any celiac disease testing, which you can do with your GP or your fertility specialist pretty easily via blood test. Without the presence of sufficient gluten in the diet, people are going to get false negatives. And undiagnosed celiac disease can be a cause for delay to fertility for both females mm. and males, um, delay to conception rather, and also a, a cause of miscarriage too. So we need to really be thinking about before we eliminate, what am I missing out on and what opportunities of testing do I need to consider before I eliminate? And that's what I advocate for is like, I don't care if you want to have a really well-balanced gluten-free diet because it makes your tummy feel great. Fantastic. Go check you have celiac. You don't have celiac disease first and then come back to me. And people go, oh, why can't you just treat me as a celiac anyway? Oh, really? Because, because... I can't because... Oh, sorry, I meant like, oh, really, people yeah. are saying you can't, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah. A lot of people do because they go, well, I don't want to reintroduce the gluten because I'll feel like, I'll feel like crap, which I understand. Mm. But, um, you know, why can't we just leave it out and I'll just be really strict with it? Well, A, I, trust me, anybody with celiac disease will tell you it's not a, a, something that you want to elect into if you can avoid it. And B, it's a whole new level. It's not like, oh, I eat rice crackers with my lunch. It's like you need to look at your chocolate bar to see if it may contain wheat and ask your favourite takeaway to see if their deep fryer oil gets changed when they make chicken schnitzel, when they put your gluten-free chicken schnitzel in there. And it's just, it's a whole new level. Like, is your toaster safe? Is your chopping board safe? So we don't want to just elect into it just because. We want to make sure that medically we're ruling those things out appropriately and also if it is that we can correct it and potentially help you support you on your fertility you know journey as well and get you there quicker so yeah I'm, I'm very passionate about that and I think the other thing that I often find especially my endometriosis clients is that they get confused between um, do I have a problem digesting gluten or do I have a problem digesting the, the uh, carbohydrate component of wheat, barley and rye, which is fructan, and that's the FODMAP component. And so the gluten is the protein and the fructan is the carbohydrate. And so a lot of people don't actually have gluten intolerance, they have fructan intolerance. And that's why their symptoms never 100% are resolved by going gluten-free, they just improved. And there is a way to still eat some of those foods, even if you have a fructan intolerance and not feel bloated or have funky bowels all the time. And that's what a good you know, dietitian will look for when you talk to them is they will see if there's any of these red flags when you talk to us about what you eat and your symptoms and go through and go, hey, maybe it's not gluten, maybe it's this, maybe we can give you some flexibility back in your diet. We're here to give you flexibility and variety and enjoy life to the fullest with the minimal amount of symptoms. And if you want to go and have a croissant on the weekend and it's full of fructan or gluten or whatever you're sensitive to, if you go into that eyes wide open, go for it, girlfriend. I'm not going to stop you. You're an adult. You can make your own decisions. I don't mind. But it's the power of knowing. And that's what I think is so important is 
it's not that like, oh my gosh, why do I feel like this after the weekend that was? It's like, okay, I know I'm going to feel like poop tonight because, <laughs> because of what happened today. Um, and so that's, that's um, really why I advocate for people to like get it checked out, you know, and, and yep. don't, self, don't self-treat all the time because sometimes it ends up worse than better. And kind of along the lines of what you mentioned, but is there sometimes mm. a case for it's not gluten, it's just the crappy wheat and you're eating way too much bread kind of thing or it's not mm. dairy, it's just that lactose is not great for you and, you know. It's always a component of the food. It's very rarely that that food itself. It's yeah. always a component and we often have to have the discussion as of is it protein or is it carbohydrate? So in milk, mm. we have a mixture of fat, protein, carbohydrate, and liquid. The carbohydrate component is lactose. The protein component, you're looking at different types of whey and casein. Some people go lactose-free and still feel rubbish. And so I go, hey, could be the protein fraction. And I ask them a few questions. And what do you know? Things like feta cheese and goat's cheese and goat's yogurt, perfectly fine, full of lactose. It's a, it's a beta casein protein digestion issue. And so that's when you switch to something like A2 milk, for example. So there are a number of different things. And I think people just write off the whole food category and don't mm-hmm. realize that mm-hmm. the fraction of the food makes a difference when it comes to these things. Let's put everyone into one bowl. Let's look at all of your clients and mm-hmm. let's look at people come. Oh, so hang on, before I say this, and I always say this to people, I, on my fertility journey for however many years, became vegan. Mm. And I'm not anymore, but I look back and at that time I was working with a naturopath and I never realised at the time why I was taking things like choline and stuff like that. So I can advocate for actually just seeing someone to make sure that, because who the fuck knew what choline was before she had me taking random supplements because she was there <laughs> trying to be like, well, if you're going to go vegan, you're like, ah, yeah. make sure that there's this and that. But if you swept everyone into a bowl and you looked at probably the top three things that people come to you with and you're like, oh, let's change that. What are some of the big things that you see people coming to you with that you're kind of like, cleaning up or sweeping up or rectifying or being like no it's not necessarily the case yeah probably what we just discussed gluten-free Mm dairy-free um and then also taking either poorly chosen supplements or too many supplements Mm -hmm. there's just extremes with supplements I find like (laughs) you're either on like what everyone else in the whole entire world is taking Uh that's so not right for you or you're taking like 16 individual supplements and nutrients and yeah they're yeah. competing with each other and I'm just like why are you not just taking a multivitamin I'm so confused yeah. about prenatal multivitamin um and so like I would say they're the top three things so like being gluten-free not feeling any better not feeling any different but feeling the pressure to continue because everyone said being gluten-free is a good idea I don't know who everyone is but apparently yeah, yeah. um Dairy-free diet, again, dairy must be bad, has hormones, affects hormones, mucus, I don't know, all the myths. Uh And I'm just uh like, 
Is it making you feel any better? If the answer is no, it's probably not helping you. The stress of avoiding uh-huh. it like the plague is probably hurting you yeah. more than the dairy is, for goodness sakes. And then the third is the supplementation issue, which is either just going to the pharmacy and kind of, you know, getting an arm to the, the shelf, shelf and just putting it all in and going, <laughs> well, whatever helps. And then, yeah. you know, the other extreme of like, you know, really not thinking about, what your diet looks like and how this matches up to fill those gaps. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you hate fish and you've got not a drop of omega-3 coming in in your supplementation plan, well, that's a problem. So, you know, all these things come into play and that's that's probably the three biggest issues that I see people, people born. Yeah. Is there one supplement that you see time and time again that you're like, you can, we can probably, most of us can probably not worry about that. Oh, vitamin C. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't yeah. know that was a fertility thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's usually not, but people take it mm-hmm. like for other stuff. They'll be like, oh yeah, I take a bit of vitamin C when I get sick, you know, or in winter I take a bit of vitamin C and I'm like, Oh, you don't need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, We're not a ship being, in the 1800s. <laughs> no, exactly. Not a ship in the 1800s. We're not going to get scurvy. And I think vitamin C and role in immune health was, um, a lot of people don't know this, but the guy that actually made that statement <laughs> mm-hmm. had to retract it, uh-huh. uh, was actually unfounded. And somehow it's stuck into the... Still around. Yeah. still around um this is like nearly 100 years ago but vitamin c is water soluble so really anything over like 100 milligrams you're just peeing it out like mm-hmm. i see people on thousands and thousands of milligrams of vitamin yeah. c and then they're not eating fruit i'm just like just go and eat a kiwi or mm-hmm. uh, bite into a capsicum like literally anything is going to get you over the line with vitamin c if you're eating a decent mm-hmm. diet so i think it's just one of those ones where i'm just like save yourself the money and go put it towards your fruit and veg shop and it's just literally leaving yeah. your body in the wee department i probably said that one's probably and then like an amount of people that take magnesium and like have no idea why they're taking it um <laughs> <laughs> like no and like not to hate on magnesium I love magnesium but right person right time and actually know how much you're getting from your diet and Mm -hmm. then don't be surprised if you overdo it and you have mad diarrhea because it will overlap right yeah yes and so I think a lot of people take it and like oh yeah it helps me sleep or it helps my muscle cramps again probably more placebo effect than mm-hmm. real mm-hmm. real effect I mean you might get a little bit of muscle relaxation but not so much so um and so I think it's probably one of those ones where I'm like your diet's so good you're getting enough magnesium I don't yes. know if you're re- like I don't really know how much you're benefiting benefiting from this I mean it's case by case but yeah I kind of do cost benefit I'm just like yes. this is more important can you put your dollar your supplement budget towards this and don't worry about that. I don't yes. care about that one. Um, and I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, yes, really. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say that they're probably the two that I end up cutting out. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Most. And for everyone in the United States who's like, what's a capsicum? It's a oh. red pepper. <laughs> it's a red bell pepper. <laughs> yes. <That's> right. <laughs> so before we move on to the speed round, Oh, speed. Can you tell everyone it's very easy? 
Okay, trust me. <laughs> but can you tell everyone if they want to know more, where can they find you? How can they work with you? And also, very importantly, do you work with people overseas? Yes. So the short answer to do I work with people overseas is yes, we do. Um, so um, our practice is fully virtual. So we see everybody on Zoom, uh, which is really great right now. But uh, all the time, it's great for all my interstate and overseas clients. So we're based in Sydney, but we consult virtually. And yeah, you can reach us at our website, thedietologist.com.au or on Instagram, the underscore dietologist. If you have endo, I'm going to come follow me on my endo page, which is endo.dietitian. Dietitian with T's, not no C's. And if you'd like to work with us, you can apply for a free 15-minute discovery call, which is available on the website. You can check out some of our one-on-one coaching programs. And we also have a couple of self-paced programs as well. The Waiting Game, which is a 30-day program designed to upgrade fertility nutrition using sensible and evidence-based practices, which has helped a few hundred people around the world. And also Get Pregnant with Endo, which is a really comprehensive self-paced program designed for those with endometriosis to, first of all, manage their symptoms and and take control of that and then upgrade for their fertility as well. Awesome. All right. We're going to do a quick speed round. There's only three questions. Do you have a book? None of this has to be fertility related, by the way. Mm. Do you have a book that you recommend everyone reads? Like a great book recommendation. Oh, I'm really bad at reading at the moment. The the book that I recommend actually one particular group of clients always read is Pain and Prejudice by Gabrielle Jackson. If you have endo, I think that is the book that changed the game for me, for sure. Yeah. Do you have a quote or affirmation that you always come back to? <laughs> uh, there's always one that it's not it's not it's not pretty my dad okay. used to say it when I was growing up but he always used to say no pain no gain um, uh-huh. which is which is probably not the not the nicest uh, <laughs> quote or affirmation but whenever I'm having a really hard time I'm always like all right no pain no ba- no pain no gain just got to push through um so yeah I I do always come back to that one because he just said it so much to me as a kid yeah. he still says it to me now like whenever he's like so <laughs> So how's the business? And I'm like, oh yeah, it's a bit hard at the moment. Working really hard. It's like it's all right, no pain, no gain. Just push through it. I'm like, okay, Dad. <laughs> I'll keep going. I'll keep um, going. <laughs> and my very last question: If you had, you know, as we end this podcast, one message that you just wanted to scream to the world or the fertility community, what would that be? Just eat some more fruit and vegetables, please. That's Thanks. it. <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. We've really appreciated you coming on to debunk some of the extreme diet and myths out there. And everyone will jump on and find you at The Dietologist. Thank you so much for having me, Robin. It's been so fun. Bye, everyone. We'll catch you next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Fertility Warriors. You know that I love chatting with you every single week. If you like this podcast, please make sure you go ahead and subscribe and share it with anyone, be it on your Instagram or your other socials to let them know that this has been helpful for you too and that it might be helpful for them. 
please make sure also that you give us a five star rating and I would love, love, love a review. They always make my day and they help other people find the podcast. So it kind of helps the search engine juices or the internet juices push this podcast out to other people when there are a number of ratings and reviews. And if you feel like infertility is starting to get the best of you and your emotions are starting to get a bit wonky, then make sure you check out my new mini program, Warrior Rising. Head to robinburkin.com slash rise and check it out. It's a five-day mini mindset transformation and it will definitely help pick up your mood, help you feel calmer and help you feel more in control of your journey. Head to robinberkin.com slash rise to find out more about my new program, Warrior Rising.